Welcome to the Tech Journeys podcast. Today we're joined by Luke Drury. Luke is the head of engineering for Cambridge-based Gearset. We'll be talking to Luke about his journey through technology, from initial interest to where he is today. And then we'll be having a chat with Luke about scaling technology businesses and growing technology teams. Sit back, relax, enjoy the show. Hit subscribe if you'd like to be updated on future episodes. Welcome to the Tech Journeys podcast. Um, today we are joined by Luke Drury. Um, Luke is the head of engineering for Cambridge-based Gearset. Um, we'll be having a chat with Luke about his journey through technology, um, the things he's learned, the challenges he's faced, uh, and then we'll be moving on and having a chat with Luke about everything scaling technology teams. Um, so, hi Luke, how are you doing? Yes, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, we're not doing too bad. Good, thank you for joining us. Um, so, like I mentioned to you, Luke, when we were speaking, um, where we usually like to start is with the question... From what you can remember, when did you first realise you were interested in technology? I guess, yeah, I guess that's an interesting question because if, if I actually think about when I got interested in, in programming, it was actually like very late on. Um, so I didn't okay. realise I wanted to. So I, I've never, never really been a hobbyist programmer, didn't really like do any tinkering or anything like that when I was a teenager, as, as so many people I know do, like so many people got interested in like a very early computer when they were like single digit digits worth of age. Um, I didn't really develop that interest, to be honest, until I really got to university, which I, th- I think is quite uncommon for people like coming through this path. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, but I've always, always been interested, sorry, go on. I've always been interested in computers. Okay. Um, so you, I noticed that you did, do, you did do computer science at university, didn't you? So was there anything that made you choose computer science? Um, before really being too interested in technology? What led you to choosing computer science? I guess, um, yeah, that's a, good, that's a good question. So, so I guess my, my interest in tech did come like from an early age of, of computers, but to be honest with you, not, not really like inspirational uh, 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 tech stuff, but it was all, all from being interested in games. Like that's what it was all like aimed around from a very early age. Oh, okay. We then developed like an older interest in, in you know, um, I guess tinkering with computers a bit but more towards the aim of, you know, of, of having a good rig or, you know, having a network set up that me and my brother could play, play games over, like those, those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and then it was once I was doing my A-levels, that's when I did my first bit of actual programming, just, just during like a computing course or something to that effect. Um, but I, was, I had always intended to go into, into biology. That was the thing I was like interested in. But it wasn't until applying to university courses and actually like thinking these things through a little bit more, thinking through the the sort of work I'd be doing if I was actually like doing these like different jobs. If I wanted to go into programming, if I wanted to go into um, something more biology focused, that I actually realised well, I, I really enjoy the problem solving stuff and actually yeah. the hands on like lab based biology stuff didn't, didn't really. I wasn't actually that good at. I didn't actually enjoy that much. And so at that point, I was like, actually, com- computer science is the direction for me, programming right. is the direction for me. And I just, just yeah, gave it a go to go on soon. Right, okay. So when you went to university, um, what were the kind of languages and fun fundamentals that you were taught in your computer science course? Yeah, well, they, I think they started off quite well because um, they, they made us, the first language that we learned at uni was C, which is okay. like a very low level, um, but very close to the machine. There's not too much that's been sort of abstracted away for you there. So 
to be good at it, to understand how it all works, you have to understand things at quite a low level, which then yeah. helps you build up like all that base knowledge of, of how like, memory works and garbage collection and and you know um, th things like that, like the importance of data structures and having to build all those things for yourself at a very low level. Um, okay. So that was, so what, what, that, that was like the first language. Yeah. So what, what, when did you become interested in the um, kind of C-sharp and .NET arena? When did... Uh, when when and how did that come about? Um, so I guess uh, I guess although I enjoyed the the lower level stuff like C and, and and tinkering and things like that, what I I don't enjoy tinkering for tinkers' sake in quite the same way as some other people. So what I actually yeah. really enjoy is building things that like solve real world problems. Yeah. Or, or like building things that are really tangible. Like it was, um, we had a great project that was building a game. Like I didn't want to go into game development ultimately, but like that was great. It was this thing that you could play with news and it was a lot of fun. Um, and so I was, I was always interested more on the side of, I want to build stuff that is useful, that helps people. Yeah. So as, as I was coming towards the end of, of university, um, I didn't explicitly say, oh, hey, I love, I love C Sharp and I want to go into, into doing .NET development. But the company I ultimately ended up applying to they were they were building stuff that was you know tools for for other developers. It was Redgate Software, the, yeah, the yeah. company, um, and so that just interested me. I, like I really wanted to work somewhere that was building stuff that was genuinely useful and a nice place to work, and um, that ended up being the place that yeah that I ended up going to. Right, okay. I know a lot of people at Redgate. Um, I've had quite a lot of people from Redgate on here. Known known a lot of them for many years. Um, so what what was the um, what was the transition like for yourself going from employer from kind of ac academic um, academia going into employment as a software engineer? What was that transition like for yourself? Uh, yeah, it was it was pretty good. Um, like I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed actually. Uh, Again, like I say, doing stuff that was actually useful. Like at uni, yeah. it's very easy. You work on something, right? And you know that when you're done with it, it's going to get thrown in the bin. Like you're yeah. building <laughs> it almost just for your for your grades, and and that's it. There's no real point beyond it. Um, so it was it was really nice to start and actually be building stuff that was useful. I think the issue that a lot of people have when they start a, a job or start start a new job or just go into their first job um, is you like you have no idea how how real software development works or like things work in the real workplace what's actually important um and so i just yeah i remember one of my first things that i sort of learned or became aware of when i started in the job was like I, I always had this thing in my head you have to when you build software you have to build like perfect software and it's always like a perfect way to write things and that's what you should be be building that's the most important thing um and then i very quickly learned actually that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is to build something that commercially makes sense. Yeah. Like, it's not like the perfection of the software or the, the, the code that you write that matters. It's, is the thing useful for the people that you're building it for? Is it going to make that product more successful? Is it going to make all your happy? Um, and if it takes you, you know, six months to build something that's like perfect, uh, that's probably not actually like useful you want to spend a couple of weeks working on something that's like pretty good instead yeah so that's that's just like saying you can you can spend months and months think creating something that's absolutely perfect on the inside but if it doesn't have 
a good solution to something on the outside, then it's basically time wasted. So um, it's looking at both the commercial aspects of it as well as the technical aspects of it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And obviously it's it's a balancing act, all of these things. It's like going to either extreme is probably bad um, and finding a happy medium in the middle. Right, okay. So would you say that's something that you keep in mind when you're hiring people? Yeah, for sure. In fact, like it's, it is one of the questions that we even end up sometimes yeah. asking, or one of the topics that we we end up talking around. Um, but but for sure, if like if you hire someone, it's like if you hire someone right, and, and you've got a test for them, and you know maybe it's it's sales, and you're getting them to write an email. Someone who bashes out an email and they get it done really fast, but there's loads of typos. That's 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 not great. But someone who um, takes an hour to write a single email, yeah, that's, that's yeah, also yeah, bad yeah. for different reasons, right? Uh, they might they might be able to sell to that one customer because they've done a really really good job, but then there's 99 other customers they probably haven't been able to sell to because they didn't have time. No, it's the, same, yeah. it's the same in software, so we, we definitely keep these things in mind. That's a good way to put it. I've not heard that before actually, and I've not heard a manager talk about that before. That's uh, that's interesting. So, how long were you with Redgate Software? Um, depends exactly how you count things, but um, I moved into the gear set team after working at Redgate for about two and a half or three years. Okay. Um, uh, and then we were a team in Redgate for a little bit and then we split out into a separate entity altogether. Yeah. So I, I've done loads of research into gear set. Um, so it's basically kind of DevOps for Salesforce products, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you went from, what I did notice is your journey. You've, um, considering you got into technology at a late age um, and it was kind of university that started to push that on you, you've done very well to go from um, from where you were then up into being head of engineering for what is meant to be one of the fastest growing tech companies in Cambridge at the minute. Um, so what was the learning curve like for yourself going from developer to leader? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I guess it's I guess it's kind of interesting because there's there's like a few different things, right? There's when you're a developer or an individual contributor in, in anything, your most of your time ends up being spent like creating stuff and like hands-on creating stuff. Um, so one one of the one of the things I sort of remember, I always tell people whenever they move into more of a like management role or leadership role is you have to learn to get satisfaction out of your work in a different way. So you can no longer rely on, I've created something, we've shown it to a customer and they're super happy about it. And now I feel good because it's made their lives better. Like you, you don't yeah. get that in quite the same way. You have to get, you have to find satisfaction in facilitating other people doing that. Right. Okay. So it's, it's like a, this mental shift. And I think it's one that has to be kind of like a little bit deliberate yeah. to get you there. Um, so that's, that's like one thing I always, I always like sticks in my head when I, when I think about this stuff and how I had to adapt when I first started doing this sort of stuff. Um, but also one of the other big things is learning, I guess, how hands-on to be. So obviously you move from, again, basically managing yourself, right? Managing your own time to suddenly needing to be aware of what other people are up to, how they're spending their time, if they need your help. Um, you know, if, if they're in, in a position where they can make all the technical decisions they need to make for the thing that they're working on or the commercial decisions on the thing that they're working on, uh, 
or if you need to step in and help out. Um, but it's just like almost art form of being able to step away and be comfortable letting other people make the decisions, letting other people make their own mistakes as they go along, just as you would if you were the one doing it um, and being okay with that and being there to, to help steer people essentially as they go along. Right. Okay. So how long have you been um, with Gearset now then? Again, depends how you count it. But if we say three years at Redgate, uh, then that's about five years, five and a half right. years at Gearset. Okay, so Gearset is part of Redgate. Is that, um, is that fair to say? Gearset is like a spin-out from Redgate? Yeah, we're, we're completely separate legal entities though. So we're, we're yeah. not, like, we used to be a team in Redgate, and now we're a completely separate legal entity. So there's, there's no right. like direct relationship with Redgate, if that makes sense. Right, okay, that makes sense. Um, and how long have you been um, head of engineering? Uh, for I think coming up to the, the pandemic has confused my ability to <laughs> think of time frames. I think it's three years now. Three years, right? Okay, just, just coming up um, in three. So, how big was um, how big was Gearset when you first joined the company? I think I was employee number five. Number five, okay. Um, and how many employees would you say they are now, circa? We're about seventy-five. About seventy-five, okay. Um, and how many people have you been responsible for hiring? Uh, so let me think about this. So I guess when I, so three years ago, we would have been about probably 10 or 15 people as a company. Yeah. Um, the majority of which were devs probably. Well, maybe, maybe you could say that. Maybe there was like around 10-ish of us. Um, so now we've, so we've gone from 10, 10 developers or 10 people in the software engineering team, sorry, the, the engineering team, to being about 35 or 40 now. Okay. So, so whatever that ends up being, 20, 25, 30 people. Right, okay. Um, and that's a short period of time. Um, and from what I believe, that's going to excel even further um, from, from what I hear. So um, obviously some very busy years coming up. Yeah. Um, but that brings us nicely into the kind of second part that we, we were hoping to have a chat around, which is kind of scaling technology teams. Um, yeah. What kind of problems could come up, how you tackle those problems, the challenges, et cetera. Um, and as I mentioned to you, we did put this out to the community to get some questions back. Um, so I have got some pre-arranged questions to run through. Um, so I think, first of all, it would be understanding from your perspective, um, what would you say have been the kind of biggest challenges that you've had to face so far with trying to grow out the technology teams? Uh, so I think there's, there's almost two key things. One of them is a bit meta, I guess, but um, the first one that jumps to mind is finding the right people. Yeah. And, I, and I, we've already touched on this, I think, earlier, but, um, you know, you, it's easy to say, oh, we need to hire like 50 devs. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's, and it's easy to find 50 to get 50 CVs come in for developers I guess that's, that's not a problem I guess the problem is finding that the, the blend of traits in someone and the blend of skills in someone that suits the, the company you're hiring them into essentially um, so, so for gear sets we we aren't just looking to hire you know people who are you know, amazing at solving algorithmic problems. Like it's not just a it's not just a technical role. It's a role where we we want people to be interested in the commercial side of things as well. So and, and everything that's going on across the company. So we're not yeah. we don't want people to come in heads down. I'm going to take a task and I'm just going to 
work on it and, and yeah. pop my head up, grab the next task, back to it. We, we want people to understand what they're doing and we want people to help drive the direction of the things that we're working on. So we want them speaking to users that are using the tool, whether through like sales calls or support calls or, you know, product management, like research calls. We want them to, to want to be involved in that stuff and to yeah. want to really understand the user so that they, they can then have an opinion on what we should be building. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that actually because um, so one of the guests that we've got scheduled to come on with us shortly is a guy called Jamie Woods. Um, don't know if you know Jamie, but he's a um, a head of software delivery for Instanda in Cambridge. Okay. Um, and one of the topics Jamie wanted to have a chat about is the fact that your job title doesn't define your role within a business. Um, and that basically the company there are going from kind of strength to strength and they're going into kind of um, scale up mode. Um, and one of the challenges that Jamie's got at the minute is kind of building out policies and processes across and getting different teams communicating with each other. Um, and that he said that that kind of ties in with what you've just mentioned, which yeah, yeah which I expect is something that you try and tackle as a business as well. Uh, do you know how, how big they are? Just out of interest. Uh, in standard. Yeah. Um, not from a headcount perspective, no. Um, I think they're probably similar size to gear set, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, yeah, not, not too much bigger, not too much smaller. Yeah. Um, okay, it's, so... Go on, I was sorry. just going to say, as, as a, a, like an interesting comment as well, because it is something that we... Because um, I guess for the stuff I was talking about, like we, we consider that stuff to be part of the software engineering role. Yeah. So we, like that is like for people we hire, that is part of their job. Like they, they are speaking to customers and that, that's like something they'll have to do essentially. Um, but then, there, then there's the even like further on part of it, which is we also want everyone to have opinions on things that marketing are up to, on you know, what sales doing, how they're speaking to customers, how they're trying to sell the tool. And we also want you know, sales to have opinions on what we should be building as an engineering group and, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. We very much have that philosophy of, you know, things aren't other people's job. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what you want done. Like, you yeah. can just go and do it, and you should just go and do it. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Um, so, I think the, the the question on that then was uh, the the initial challenge that you mentioned was kind of finding the right people. So, yeah. how would you say that you've overcome that so far? Do you have like a strategic plan around that, or? Um, yeah, I guess I guess there are a few things. So, selling, I guess the, the way we sell ourselves, like we we try and sell ourselves as like being a place to do. Like we, we don't want to sell people on it's a it's a cushy culture and it's a nice place to come work and you know you'll you'll have free lunch and you get to play Mario Kart like yeah. part of the part of the experience, but it's not what it's about. Like that's just like yeah. a nice perk on the side. Um, we really try and sell people on. You know, it's, it's a place to do great work that you're gonna love, you're gonna love doing. Yeah. It's a place to yeah. like have an impact and and really be able to be involved. Um, it's a place where opinion, like uh, um, opinion, opinion value is like flat across the company. So whether it's a, an intern or the CEO or me or you know someone new in sales or in engineering, everyone's opinions are, are valid, and we yeah. really want to encourage that sort of stuff. So um, like the right, so the right the right idea is the best idea. It doesn't matter whose idea it was. Yeah. Okay. Exactly, exactly. Um, and so we really try to sell, sell ourselves and those sorts of things. And that just ends up bringing in the right sort of people, right? Because the, the people who do just want to sit, sit and have their head down and 
only like solve the problem without thinking about the the bigger picture. Um, then they're not as interested as applying. That they'd rather go somewhere else. So that that helps get us like the right sort of people, and it excites people to come and to come and see us. Okay. Um, and then I guess yeah, obviously testing for the right things as well during during interview. Like we yeah. we don't like having. Um, there's loads of programming tests in the industry where you'll go in and you'll you'll do an interview and they'll get you to solve like a an algorithmic problem on the whiteboard or ask you a question like how many liters of milk are there in the UK or, or something some some like crazy question which which you can't, like it's hard to see it's hard to see the relevance um, so we try and make sure we test on real things as well like right. when we, we give them a realistic programming problem to do we'll get them to talk to other people across the company about you know experiences they've had in there in previous jobs and how they've dealt with them and what they liked and what they didn't like to, to help make sure that we do bring in the right people. Yeah. Just by okay. testing the right things, essentially. Yeah. So a, a combination of um, making sure that your kind of process for looking at these people when they come in is in place properly, but also at the same time, focusing on what the business looks like externally to people who are looking in. Yeah. Um, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, growing the teams over the past couple of years, um, have you seen any common um, common themes coming up when bringing new people in? Um, maybe you've had to kind of adapt to kind of getting people up to speed in the fastest possible time, or putting processes in place to make sure that they're embedding into the teams properly. Yeah, so so this stuff, I guess that there's almost like a pre-pandemic and a post-pandemic answer yeah, here definitely, for, yeah. some of, for some of these things. But I think most things still ring true. Like what we we, um, we gave the, each of the sort of heads of department, we, we gave a, a company update at the start of the year. And it was all about like what, what we're going to be focusing on, like what's, what's, um, what's important. And one of the things that we all called out in each of our presentations was as we grow, as we you know, add more structure and bring more people in and shape the company in certain ways. One thing we really never want to happen is to start building silos in the company. Yeah. So we don't want sales to be over here and engineering to be over here and marketing to be over here. And, and even within engineering, we don't want this team to be here working together and not talking to anyone else and this team to be over here and not, not talking to anyone else. Um, so, so that's one of the big things. One of our big focuses is don't build silos. So whenever yeah. someone new joins, we try and do everything we can to get them involved with stuff, basically and involved with with people. Um, so everyone who joins gets obviously has a line manager, right? Who's looking after them, who's who's doing one to ones with them, and it's just kind of responsible for for them joining the team. And um, we also give everyone a mentor who's going to sit with them and help help them get up to speed, keep, like help them learn the ropes. Um, and then we also give them a, a buddy, so someone else. In, in like a random department in, in the okay, company yeah. who's just someone to talk to. They'll just have tea with them, chat to them. It's nothing like formal. It's nothing structured. It's just like a, a person somewhere in the business that you're going to get to know quite well in your first few weeks. So you feel comfortable talking to them. You've got like another hook into another part of the company to just for that social aspect. Yeah. Okay. And then we do tons of social stuff as well. So, I mean, when we're in the office, we're all super, super, like we're just all friends basically, which is quite nice. Yeah. But if you ever want to go for a tea, the thing that we always used to do, we were two offices spread over two floors. 
So if we were going to go get a tea, we'd always just do a whip around and we'd just like, we'd walk through both offices just saying, you know, oh, tea anyone, tea anyone, tea anyone. And then anyone who's interested would just sort of grab and we'll all go to the tea area, make a tea and just have a chat for like 20 minutes. Oh, okay. I like that. It's, it's always just like trying to include people. Like we'll yeah. have lunch together. We'll, we'll go for a walk after lunch together as well. Um, we try and encourage people and um, I'd say to, to go to the pub. We try and encourage people to come to the pub you know, <laughs> at the end of the day and stuff as well, right? Because, we, you know, you, you work from a base where everyone all knew each other really well when we were the sort of initial seven or so people that we were. And as we've grown, we've sort of carried on with that culture. So everyone still gets on really well. And then right. anytime someone new joins you're, and you're going to go do something social, you just try and get them to come, come along with you because well, it's, it's fun to hang out with each other. Right. Okay. All, all, I just all, all this stuff embeds you really well together as a as a team and as a as a little community in the company, basically. So everyone yeah. knows that everyone's comfortable working together with each other, um, and it just means you don't get the silos. So new people who join, um, I think and I hope, do feel comfortable just talking to everyone, interacting with everyone. So you know, once they join, it doesn't take too long to get integrated and really feel comfortable in the company. So how is that? Um, how is that? process um or that culture being affected by covid this year i mean how have you had to adapt yeah that's, that's a good question so yes obviously like lo- loads of things change right suddenly you're not going for lunch together you yeah. can't just walk around the office to grab tea no one's going to the pub so um yeah no all that stuff changes for sure we, we basically tried a few things so we we already all sort of live and breathe on on slack which is our like internal not internal, but you know, like a yeah, you use Slack. I also use Slack. Yeah, big, big, big fans of Slack. We've been using it the whole time, and um, yeah, well, I wouldn't say like all of our conversation happens in there, but the majority, like a huge portion of our conversation, happens in there. And then we break out to, to talking when that doesn't work for whatever yeah. reason. So we've got a strong culture of living in there. So we've we've got loads of things that we we do in there. We instead of having the the tea where you walk around, grab everyone, go up for tea, it turned into. Um, a tea channel where you just post and say, oh guys, I'm going to take a tea break like at home. Um, and we've got a Google meets like chat, chat room constantly set up. So you can just jump right. into there. The video is always running. You just jump in. And then if anyone wants to join, they grab a tea, jump in as well. And you just have a natter while you're having, having your tea. So we've, we've sort of managed to carry on that nice little bit of culture there. Just, just do something simple like that, which has been quite nice. Um, we um we had a we did a we did a an event a few months ago um and it was around kind of how to support people's mental health when they're working from home um and we got a clinical psychologist to come on with us for a chat um and she was she was talking about how um the kind of face to face interaction seems to be drifting off a little bit um yeah. so do, do you, did you have anything or did you have a way of recognizing if certain members weren't maybe contributing as much as they necessarily would have done usually so you know if they're maybe having a bit of a hard time or that kind of thing yeah that's a, that's a good question all of that's just so, so hard i was thinking about this earlier um it is way harder to realize if you know even if it's something simple like if someone's stuck on a on a technical problem it's way harder to realize those things now than it used to be because you used to be able to see someone at their desk and you know they might be throwing their hands up or yeah, yeah. hands on head or um you know huffing and puffing or something so you'd know to go and help them out but you don't get that anymore um and it's i think it's the same with realizing if people aren't getting involved in things aren't having 
like a, a good experience. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess we've like we've we've tried. We some teams, for example, have started doing things where they'll have um, just social catch ups, like every Tuesday at eleven o'clock. I know one of the teams just has a a video call that's on every week, and they don't yeah. they don't like have to go in right. And this is in addition to all the other stuff like the tea breaks, yeah, yeah, yeah. like quizzes, and we do gaming together and stuff. But um, it's just a time for the team to be able to go and just just pop on if they want to, and it's not like the whole company. So it's not like huge. Um, it's just like the whatever six or so people from their team may or may not be in there. Just like little things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and trying to like reach out to people a little bit more and just, you know, if you haven't spoken to someone for a while, just uh, send them a message and seeing seeing how they're doing. Okay. Um, okay. But then then as, as a company, we've done some stuff as well. So we've we've got um we've got like a on hand counselor available just for anyone oh, without ever speaking to gear set they can just go yeah, in and yeah. say i want to i want to just like chat someone and it just gets billed to gear set so like we, we never right. like we're not involved apart from like whatever every month paying a paying a right. bill or something okay that no that is that's fantastic that's really good um okay so then moving on a little bit then um so we've Few of the people that I've spoken to and mentioned that I'd be having a chat with yourself have said that when they when they've started to scale out their teams, they've seen a drop in productivity. As the team gets bigger, productivity seems to drop down. Um, is that something that you've seen at Gearset or anything you've tried? You've had to kind of combat. Um, yeah, like I, I think um, actually this, this might sound defeat, defeatist almost. Like I, I guess it's almost in some ways slightly inevitable that you will lose some productivity because you just get this like communication overhead if yeah. you try and do like work in exactly the same way. Um, so yeah, I reckon this is, this is stuff that we've had to deal with to some degree. Um, but the thing that we've always tried to do is so for engineering, at least to keep teams quite small, it's so like keep them in units and that team has some sort of common goal that they're working together, uh, working towards together. Um, and it means that you've got this group of people who all understand like the area they're working on can all, you know, um, sort of rally, rally behind it a little bit like when you've got a small company. Yeah. So, so we, like, I think back to that original, those original seven people, we all, all always knew what was going on. We could all always work together and, um, you know, help each other out and stuff. It's kind of the same when we do that sort of stuff with the, with the teams. Yeah, they understand the customer that they're building the stuff for. They'll be jumping on like calls with those customers. They don't. They don't have to think about the whole product all at once and everything that we do and what every single customer wants. It kind of helps focus them a little bit. So I, right. I think that's like the biggest way that we've basically combated this stuff. Yeah, it starts off really flat, like really flat. No, no, like team leads or anything. And yeah. over time, we introduce that little bit of structure just to give, yeah, teams those goals, those focuses that help them. Um, okay. Of, you know, move move at, at a high speed, basically. Okay. Um. Kind of brings me on to the next question then. So, um, do you have a specific process in place or a structure in place to make sure that new hires are becoming productive as, as quickly as possible? Do you have um? Does that come down to mentoring, or do you have something kind of specific in place to get them be, becoming productive in the quickest possible time? Yeah, so, so, we, so we definitely got a few things um, right off the bat. And I think one of those is just, just knowledge. Like, do I, do I know the inner workings of the product? Do I understand the user? 
do I know that what we're trying to trying to build and all that sort of stuff? And then the other aspect is um, almost understanding like how we work as a company and like what's what's important to us. Uh, if, if that makes sense. So so yeah, we've got a few things. Obviously, we've got like the line manager who's who's responsible for the person. You've got the mentor who's who's helping them get up to speed. But we basically try and um, I, I don't want to say like throw people in the deep end because I don't I don't really mean yeah. that. They've got lots of support. We we try and get people doing like real things really early on. Yeah. To, like um, de-risk and like de-fear like all that stuff. So when when a new software engineer joins the company, one of the first things we get them to do almost always on their first day is to release the product to all of our customers, which means like finding like a new build that's got new features in and then releasing that so that everyone who's using Gearset suddenly gets the new, new version. And it's something that's quite scary if you've never done it before. Yeah. And so we get people to do it straight away. We say, right, we're going to sit with you. Let's do a release. You press all the buttons. Let's show you how this works. <laughs> um, and it's fun for people because it's like one of the big things that you end up having to do. Yeah. But it's really empowering because you now you've done it. You know, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know it's like, not scary. Yeah. Right. Uh, and and we're, we're basically like this on everything. So, you, you know, you come in and one of the first things you do is you do a release. Then we get you to you know, add yourself to the, to the website. So you've made a code change and you can see it now. You can see your picture on the website that says who you are and what your job is. And then we get people again in their first, in the first few days or in the first week to implement a bug fix, implement a simple feature just so they're straight away like contributing. So in yeah. that first week, they've already done a bunch of stuff that's tangible, that's helped users. Because from, from there, it's just expanding your knowledge out basically. Right. Okay. No, that's interesting. That is interesting. Okay. Um, so I'm just having a quick look at here um, and some of the other questions that came in, make sure we don't miss anything. Um, so from a, and if you were to be offering advice to another business um, that was maybe looking at 2021, 2022, and they, they're in a position where they've got to start expanding quickly, um, what advice would you give someone when it comes to having the right structure in place before you start to grow? Um, I know myself from growing our business that there's, if you don't have that right internal structure in place, like for us, it's the training programs, et cetera. If you don't have that in place properly, um, you can't grow properly. So what, what advice would you give somebody who was maybe going through a similar journey to gear set? Uh. Yeah, it's interesting. So, so for us, so we we haven't put too much stuff in place ahead of time. Okay. What we've tried to do is, um, it's almost that that empowerment side of things. That like, if if there's a problem or if there's something to be improved and you spot it, just just go improve it. Like we've, yeah. we've really tried to make sure that's a culture that everyone sort of lives and breathes. So as we've grown and as we've identified those issues, that's when we've then tried to introduce the things to to improve it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like we don't wait till it's a problem, but we wait till it's, um, needed beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. so one of the things I think about is we, um, we've got internal, um, an internal documentation site and, and we use it for a couple of different things. It's called notion. We use it for a couple of different things. We use it to document, you know, um, uh, the internals of the the app and how some of the the things work, like the, the infrastructure and and stuff like that. So te technical documentation on the product, but then we also use it to 
you know, there's some onboarding docs in there that help people understand what their first few weeks will look like. There's some docs in there that describe how the engineering team works and how we prioritize our work and, you know, um, all, all these sorts of things. And this is true for like all of the departments across the business. We could have built that stuff out when we, after we hired our first new engineer or our first like external engineer, but it probably would have been a big waste of time if we did. And we probably would have written the wrong stuff. Or, yeah. or if we think about like introducing structure, we might have introduced the wrong structure that didn't work for whatever reason. Okay. So what we've tended to do is we've waited till we've identified an issue and then we've said, okay, now we're going to solve it because it's it's like started to cause us a bit of pain. Um, and we make sure we get the people who are kind of experiencing that pain involved in improving it. Right. So not, okay. not, yeah. Not like not just one person going off and doing an isolation, but you know, oh, I, I didn't understand how to do a release because this bit wasn't written down. And yeah. then you say, okay, cool. So yeah, great. You, you're empowered to go in and just fix those things up and write them down or tweak the wording or what, whatever it needs to happen to make it yeah. better for the next person. So it's basically documenting the business processes as you go along and as you're building, as opposed to spending too much time saying this is what we want it to look like and then basically building it that way. Yeah, yeah, that's that's certainly something we've done. Um, and then And then around like, structure again we've, we've brought it in as we as we've needed to um but one of the things that we you know we're, we've got now is we've got lots of sub teams in engineering and we we want to bring in we'll need to divide up into you know more sub teams and stuff as, as we go uh and so what we need now are people who are ready to take those roles on yeah. and those responsibilities on of like leading a team for example so I guess keeping an eye on those things as as they're coming on the horizon and being ready to or, or getting people ready, like helping train people up, get them into position, they're they're ready to take on those roles, is also quite important. So we always right. try and keep people working at the edge of kind of what they're capable of. That if that makes sense, yeah. And keep giving people opportunities to do things that they haven't perhaps haven't done before, like run a project or. Um, you know, we've got some people running the internship program that we that we've got. We we try and get people who haven't done any mentoring before to mentor new starters, or who haven't done line management before to manage an intern. Those sorts of things. So, getting ahead of the, the of the sort of training, I guess, for these things is important as well. So you don't get to the point where you've got 100 engineers and only one person who who knows how to do management, for example. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, okay, I'm conscious that we're coming up towards 50 minutes and I, uh, I did tell you it would only take 40 to come on today. So a um, couple, couple of finals. So if you had one tip that you would give to someone who was looking to start growing their technology team next year, um, what would your one tip be? One tip. That's hard. <laughs> um... I guess, I mean, I guess on, um, on the, on the hiring side, basically like almost don't stop like hiring, getting a, getting a good pipeline going takes a lot of work. And, and indeed like it's, it's definitely a job for like a whole job for someone, right? It's not something yeah. you can very easily just do on the side in, in the spare time. You've got to have like, a, it's, it's a lot of effort. So don't, don't, don't stop hiring. Like there's, there's times when you're hiring, you get lots of new people in. And it's a little bit overwhelming, but that's okay. Like that's fine. Like everyone will settle in. You'll you'll do what you need to get those people up and running. Um, 
you don't want to get your foot off the, the gas when it actually comes to that hiring. You've got yeah. to keep going and you've got to keep bringing people in and you don't want to miss out on the good people that in six months or in a year, you're going to wish that you you did hire. Yeah. It's a good tip, actually. And I, I'll just offer another tip from my side on that as well. Um, and it's make sure that you've also got employer awareness. So a lot of companies, a lot of companies are very good and they have brand awareness. Um, but brand awareness is very much directed at people buying your product, not yeah. people working for your business. Um, one thing that companies don't do, um, and something that we we implement ourselves as a recruitment business is, is employer awareness. So a a tech professional um, statistically is six times more likely to join a business if they've heard about that business before they start looking for a job. Um, and it's same with buying a product. You're more likely to buy a product if you've seen it before you need it. Um, but people do neglect that. Um, and the best way you can build employer awareness is by making sure that you're, you have a marketing channel that focuses directly at the people you'd like to hire and they're hearing about your business and why they should work there. Um, if, you can, if you can actually establish that, you, uh, you'll, you'll get far more good quality applications coming through and it'll make it easier to grow your teams. Um, so just a quick tip from my side. Um, last one. So if you could change one thing within the tech industry, what would it be? <laughs> Hard question. This wasn't, this wasn't, I'm not, not ready for this one. What's uh, <laughs> the one thing you could change in the tech industry? I'll give you, I'll give you a clue as to answers that we've had. So um, Andrea that we had on this morning was talking about, he'd have more communities um, and make it make communities more visible for people to be able to come together and learn. Um, I've, uh, I've had somebody else say that get rid of as many recruitment companies as possible, apart <laughs> <laughs> from Progress Talent. Um, <laughs> his feedback was they just make his life miserable at times, which is a very fair comment. Um, so go on, Luke, over to you. Um. Uh, one thing you change. Um, I always think it, it almost feels like with um, with tech, like lots of people are like or programming specifically, people are like scared to get into it. They see it as being like everyone's always like, all developers very like su- super smart, and like obviously it takes a smart person right to be able to do it. But it feels yeah. like there's like a barrier to entry that doesn't need to be there. Like there's loads of great online re- learning resources. Um, you know, there's there's obviously like tons tons of great courses and things. It, it feels like there's this barrier to entry, which stops loads of people from from going into it. And obviously, there's like like diversity issues and stuff in tech as well, which um, means that there are those yeah those barriers. Then I guess it's harder for that stuff to to get sorted out. Um, yeah, but yeah. Just feels like there's 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 not enough people. There should be there should be more people. There's yeah there's so many jobs. And there's yeah. not enough people. In it. And you know what? That's um, so that, again a conversation that I was having on one of these events with someone the other day. And one of the reasons that we uh, that we actually set up the podcast was we called it Tech Journeys because everybody's got a different journey through and into technology. Um, mm-hmm. So someone that I was speaking to the other day was saying, "I don't know if I'd be a very good guest because my journey into technology is quite unusual." And I was like, "You're the kind of person that people need to hear from." People yeah. who maybe have a bit of an interest in it, but are sat thinking, but I didn't do a computer science degree at university. 
Um, I haven't done any coding and I'm now 28 years old. How can I get into the tech industry? Those people need to know that it is still possible. Um, and there are loaded, loads and loads of coding boot camps and things like that about these days where you can go and you can learn the skills. And um, a lot of companies actually sign up to these coding boot camps these days and take people on as uh, apprentices and junior developers. Um, so it's definitely, definitely doable. Um, so, yeah, yeah, really good point, Matt. Thank you, Luke. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, good stuff. Well, uh, thank you for coming on and joining us. Um, a lot of really, really valuable information there, so I really appreciate it. Um, I'll drop you a message following this just to have a quick follow-up at some point next week and have a quick chat. Um, cool. So apart from that, thank you, and I'll, uh, I'll speak to you again soon. Thank you very much for your time, Sean. Thanks for no problem. Cheers, Luke. Cheers. Bye. Have a good one. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed that. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you're notified of any future conversations with leading technology managers. If anyone would be interested in coming on the podcast, feel free to reach out at sean, S-E-A-N dot R-A-J-N-I-S at progress talent.com.